Now, if you're here with us as a guest today, what we do, we go through a book of the Bible. We started in Joshua about 10, maybe 10 sermons ago, and uh, we are at Joshua chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open it up to Joshua chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible, you probably can find uh, English Standard Version. You can probably find that on your phone somewhere. I'd like for you to have it in front of you because I want you to see the, the most important thing you, you hear here today is going to be the Bible. It, that's where God speaks to us from the Bible. So our intent is to keep our focus on God's Word. So if you found Joshua chapter 6, why don't you stand? And we'll read together God's Word. Joshua chapter 6, the whole story is the people of Israel going to Jericho, circling the walls, the walls coming down, and the people of Israel running into Jericho, and everybody in Jericho is killed. It is not a joyful story, especially if you're a citizen of Jericho. But our, our uh, purpose this morning is to find out what is it in this story that God is telling us. I'll call your attention to Joshua 6. We'll start in verse 1. I'm just going to read to verse 7 to get a feel for it, and we'll spend the rest of the time going through the whole chapter. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin right there in verse 1. <clears throat> Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up everyone straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of Covenant. Let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass to pass on before the Ark of the Lord. Let's stop right there. Father, help us. By grace, help us and, and, and speak to us from your word. Make it so that my lips are a mouthpiece for your word. Holy Spirit of God, I pray you'd grip our hearts that we might love the grace you've given us more, that we might love Christ above all, that we might with a genuine passion for who you are, see you and love you. So God, help, help Hickory Grove do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Part of the story that I've just read to you in the story from Joshua 6 is a story about God. I'll say that on the front end because it's important that we view this story as a story not primarily about someone or about us. It is about God. This story is not about the Canaanites and their annihilation. This story is not about the Israelites and their victory. This story is not about Joshua and his leadership. 
This story is not really even about Rahab, which is remarkable, and I'm going to spend some time on it, it but it's not really even about Rahab and her deliverance. When you go there to, to Joshua 6, just like every other passage in the Bible, you've got to realize that it is about God. You see, that's what that's what we need to hear is about God. We need to hear from God. That's what the Bible does. It gives us, gives us the ability to hear God. We don't need to hear how to not be bad like the Canaanites or how to be good like the Israelites or even how to lead like Joshua. What our souls need is God. What your soul needs is God. Who is this God of the Bible? How does he work? What does he want? How do I, how do you fit into God's plan? Those are the questions when you approach a story in the Bible, when you when you read something in the Bible, you read it with questions, and the questions are less about, they're less about you. Don't write yourself into the story. So often I've heard it preached and, and even read commentaries that will, you write yourself into the position of Joshua saying that we all have our Jerichos to face. That is, if you've got to write yourself into this story, you and I, we're not Joshua, we're the prostitute Rahab. If you're going to write yourself, you write yourself into that part. Instead, we, we back up and say, what is it? What is it God is saying? We've landed here. Let's, um, let's catch up a little bit. We've landed in chapter 6. So let me sort of uh, bring some context. I'm, I've been away three Sundays. Um, three Sundays, Kyler flipped the Bible over. So let's go to Revelation. And uh, look, I was at, at uh, main campus this morning. Someone said, we were hoping you would have one more week on vacation. <laughs> That's what she said. Another guy said to me, hey, uh, it's a good, a good thing you came back when you did. We were getting a pulpit committee together. <laughs> but they enjoyed preaching in Revelation. So let's put that down for a moment and get back to the context of where we are in Joshua chapter 6. So let's think about what's happened so far. God brought his people through the wilderness right there to the Jordan River. God performed the miracle at the Jordan River, stopped it so that they walked across on dry ground. They got over on the other side of the promised land. And there, God cleansed his people. Remember the place, Joshua 5, it's called Gilgal. He rolled away, took away their shame, took away the stain of being in Egypt. And then God in his goodness gave them back something called the Passover the Passover is a ceremony that will remind the Jewish people of God's good salvation. Even up to this very day, Jews would celebrate the Passover. For Christians, the, the Passover would be a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. In fact, we even celebrate it with the Lord's Supper, reminding us that Jesus Christ died as a substitute on the cross for sinners so that any sinner that believes is saved. That's why we take the Lord's Supper. Well, God gave them the Passover to remind them of His goodness. And now in chapter 6, all of that preparation is done. 
They've got to get up and walk into the promised land. And they are going to have to trust God. That's the question, isn't it? Do you, do you actually trust Him? Do you trust that God is good, that God is working, that God in His goodness is taking care of you, that God will provide, that God is refining you? Do you trust that it is actually something good? Is, is Romans 8, 28 something you actually trust? Do you trust that He's holy? Do you, do you trust that He's real? See, this passage, when you read the Bible, this is what happens. This passage invites us to look squarely at God and believe that God is kind in grace and severe in judgment. Look at God, what do you see? That God is so kind, so kind in grace and yet so severe in judgment. Let's go through this passage, and I'm just going to walk through. And In fact, all of my points today sort of come from other verses in the Bible. Uh, you'll see what I mean as we go along. Here's the first one, number one. First point I want you to see is that there is nothing that is too hard for God. There is nothing. You, you should probably write that down, put it in your heart. There is nothing that you are facing that is too hard for God. Join me there in verses 1 and 2, and you've got to read those two together. Read verse 1, there are contrasts. Verse 1 is something that Joshua sees. Verse 2 is how God sees it. Let's, let's uh, read them together. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. Preacher named Kent Hughes. Kent Hughes says that this is a blunt, verse 1 is this blunt statement of truth. It's just a blunt statement of fact. Here it is. The people of Israel, they're, they're going into the promised land, and the very first city that they got to take is a walled city built, built for siege. Jericho. Let's go and just think about Jericho a minute. Jericho is a walled city. Uh, it is built to withstand the siege, and now it is, it is locked into siege mode. They have their provisions. Every door is locked. Every bridge is blocked. Nobody's coming in. Nobody's going out. They are ready. Now, what about Israel? Israel's not accustomed to taking a walled city. They've never seen a walled city. Israel doesn't have any battering rams. Israel doesn't have a trebuchet throwing big rocks over into it. Israel doesn't even have a ladder. How are they going to get up that wall? Here is, here is Fortress Jericho, and it is impregnable. Now, now pause here. Pause. Verse 1 is a completely hopeless situation. It's completely ho hopeless for Joshua and the people of Israel. Look, I, let me just stop and say it. Hopelessness. Honestly, some of you know this all too well. You could, you, I mean, you've, you've felt what it's like to be hopeless. 
Hopelessness is a, is a bottomless hole when you're falling and there's no bottom. It's, I mean, it's not that you've hurt. It's like you just can't stop being hurt. Hopelessness is a soul vacuum. You, you've felt some of that before. Now, with that, that's verse 1. Now, look quickly. Look quickly what God says in verse 2. There's the hopelessness in verse 1. And then in verse 2, God says to Joshua, See? In other words, look. Look over here. Look what I've done. I have given. You see the, the past tense? I have done it. God says to Joshua, I know what you see. You see the impregnable and the impossible. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see what I have already done. God in the present can speak in the past to help us with the future. God in the present can speak about the past to help us with the future. What we're going into, God has already done. I know that Jericho is... Um, I know that Jericho's a walled city. I know it's got a great king. I know they've got great men, men of valor there in Jericho. But I have all, this, doesn't this sound like, doesn't this sound like what it means to be a Christian, putting our faith in the finished work of Jesus? Our hope in the future is, what's, is on something that was done in the past, the finished work of Jesus. God says to Joshua, I've already done the work of conquest. Isn't that what God does? It's what, it's what the Lord said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 32, 27. The Lord said, Behold, I am the Lord. I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? A wayward child? A lost husband? An unthinkable Tragedy, an addiction to pornography, an issue with anger, a marriage that feels like it's broken beyond repair. Do you believe? Is there anything? And, and ultimately, I mean, this is Christianity, right? This is how God saves people. Ultimately, how does God save people out of sin? Listen, let's get the gospel right. The gospel is not you do better. The gospel is Jesus is better. And every one of us, every one of us, we need to probably start at this point, every single one of us deserves to be condemned in our sin like the Canaanites. You can go there. We're going to get there in a minute. All, everybody's going to die in Jericho. Every one of us deserves to be condemned in our sin like the Canaanites, but we can be delivered like Rahab through the free grace of God given to us in Jesus. How, how, do, we, um, how do we explain that? Here's a good place to pause and just give kind of our formula for the gospel. What do we believe about the gospel? We believe that God is holy, the creator who created all things, including all of us here. He created every person here in his image. But that image of God in us has been disfigured because of our own sin, a sinful nature that we inherit from the people before us and the sins that we commit. So you might say that we're doubly condemned. That condemnation is something we live with. We're born with it. 
We're born under condemnation. And that condemnation is that which keeps us separated from God. But God in His love gives His Son Jesus, who is fully, fully man and fully God, who lived a righteous life, which is very important for our theology. It's important for us to understand that it's not just that Jesus died for us on the cross. It is that Jesus lived because our righteousness is filthy rags. After living a righteous life, He went to the cross, and there the perfect Son of God, the only one that could do it, took the full wrath of God. This is where sin is judged at the cross. He takes the full wrath of God, takes our sin, gives us His righteousness, and any, the gospel is any person that believes, this is what I'm asking you to believe, any person that trusts in the finished work of Jesus will be saved. That is the miracle of salvation. There is nothing that is too hard for God. Let me give you something else to consider from this passage. Here's the second thing. I'll pull this one from Corinthians as well. Number two, in weakness... God is made strong in your weakness. Isn't that, what, isn't that what God said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, where uh, God says, isn't, my grace is sufficient for you. Weakness, I am strong. I mean, that's what, that's what the Bible shows us right here in this passage. I want to go to the instructions, and let me just read them to you. Verses 3 and 4 and 5. Now, I only made it to verse 7 when we read in the beginning because there's such repetition in what goes on in this story. So you have the instructions in verses 3 and 4 and 5. You'll see them again in verses 6 through 12. They come up again from 12 to 15. Let me just read them to you, and you listen to this plan. See if it makes sense to you. <clears throat> verse 3. God tells them, You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once, Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. The people will go up, everyone straight in to it. Now, truthfully, that makes no real sense from any point of view. Any way you look at it, you, you can't make that a logical way to actually win a battle. We're going to talk more about the detailed instructions. I'll talk about the plan a, a little further in my next point. But what I want to focus on here is God getting glory and salvation through judgment. I have a friend named Jim Hamilton. He is a professor at Southern Seminary, and he wrote a book. I would commend it to you. It's a theology book, a biblical theology book, and the name of it is God's Glory in Salvation Comes Through Judgment. God's Glory in Salvation Through Judgment. And Jim contends that, that the people of God taking the land that does something, it highlights God, giving, God getting glory in His justice, but also in mercy. How does He do it? Well, God initiates the conquest of the land. 
God, you read in chapter 6, God puts fear into the people of the land. And then the third thing is, God gives them this insane plan. This plan to the world would be folly and weakness. Israel is to trust God even if they can't see how He will accomplish His plan. Furthermore, I mean, think about the, all of the Bible. Furthermore, isn't this exactly what Paul says about how God saves people? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us that are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul will go on to say, this is how God works. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, he'll say, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that aren't, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? So nobody can boast. As a reminder, we've got nothing. As your life is a success and your faith is going well and people admire you and you're respectable, be careful. You think you did that yourself. Paul says it's our weakness that shows God's greatness. This, this story right here reminds us that that is how God worked. This is, about, this is about God. This is about God working, not Joshua's leadership. Look, don't, don't despise your weaknesses. Don't despise your deficiencies. Don't despise your failures. You've got wounds, wounds in your heart and soul. Don't despise that. Don't despise your hurts. Your history, things have happened in the back, a lot of them your fault. If, if we believe in a sovereign God and the providence of God, He's bringing all of that about, even the ugly things and the sinful things, He, he is so good, He can use that even to get glory. Don't, don't despise that. Every single one of us here, we, we are nothing more than trophies of God's grace won for us at the cross of Jesus. There is nothing that is too hard for God. And in weakness, our God is made strong. Let me give you a third thing to consider as you look at this story. Number three, that is that God's plan is perfect. God's plan is perfect. And instead of thinking about God's plan for your life, I want you to think about God's plan. Then how then, by grace, does your life fit? If you go back and read the battle plan of verses 3 and 4 and 5, then if you jump over to verses 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and if you do it again in verses 12 through 15, you're, you're just going to see several things. I'll call your attention to one, uh, one verse. You'll, you'll hear it in verse 4. Let me read it to you, verse 4. You see it? Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Did you hear a word a bunch of times there? The word seven. The, the number seven throughout the Bible shows up all over the Bible. Seven days of creation, 
Uh, Moses sat on Mount Sinai seven days waiting on God to speak. Ezekiel, before he preached, he sat down and waited seven days before he opened his mouth. I mean, it's all over the Bible. In the Bible, the number seven brings with it the idea of total perfection and total completion. Now, with that in mind, if you were to take Joshua 6 and walk through it slowly with a pencil in your hand, and every time you saw the, the word seven, you were to circle it, you would see it 14 times in this passage. Which is a reminder that God's plan is utterly perfect. It is doubly perfect. Not only that, if you take verse, um, verse 4 and then verse 6 and verse 7, what you see is three different ways to describe the Ark of the Covenant. So it's described as the Ark, then it is the Ark of the Covenant, it is the Ark of the Lord, and it was always meant to be a symbol of God's presence. Always. Now, if you read the whole passage, you read Joshua chapter 6, you walk through it slowly and you circle. Every time you see the ark or the ark of the Lord or the ark, ark of the covenant, you'll see that ten times. What is the author telling us? That this battle plan, although it makes no sense, it is a perfect plan and it pulsates with the presence of God, that God is in it. In addition to that, what's in the, what's in the ark? Uh, let's remember that in the Ark of the Covenant are three things. There you have the Ten Commandments, the stone tablets. There you have some manna that reminds us of God's good provision in our life. There you have Aaron's rod that budded, that reminds us of God's miraculous, his miraculous deliverance. So, so his plan is perfect. It's God-saturated. I'll give you one more uh, about God's plan. That is that God's plan often takes patience. Patience. Are you a patient person? No, you're not. Even those of you that, even those of you that feel like you're patient, there is an end to that. Even those of you that, are the, that have the lowest blood pressure and pulse rate and nothing, at some point, something gets next to you. You get to this passage and look with me in verse 11. Look, look at the monotony. Verse 11, they circled everybody. Get out there. Everybody walk out there. Got the whole line up with the ark. Circled Jericho once. Came back in. Verse 12 tells us, they got up early in verse 12. Circled it again. It, it feels like the writer got so bored talking about it, he just got to verse 14 and said, look, they just did the same thing six days in a row. You see, see how he said that? He's like, yeah, they did this for six days. But then the seventh day, in verse 15, notice the seventh day. The seventh day, it went around seven more times. Now think about that. Thirteen times. They did the same ineffective thing. Over and over again, nothing happens. You know, isn't it easy? It is so easy to, to be faithful when you see results. It's, it's, it's easy when there's a transaction. When you work hard and good things happen. When you raise your kids a certain way, they turn out well. When you have this sort of 
addition in your mind about how God works, it, it becomes, if you do good, then God will do good for you. If you do bad, then God will do bad to you. Now be careful with that, how you interpret. You can work hard all your life and still things not go well for you. Over and over, anybody can be faithful when things are going well. It takes a different kind of faithfulness to keep going when you can't see any results. When circling and nothing is happening. This plan before us, it is it's perfect and God-saturated, but it takes God's people being patient. I'd like to add one more point here. Let's see if I can do it pretty quickly. Let's talk about when the walls came tumbling down. When the walls fell flat. And you're going to see something here. Let's, let's not... It's so easy to take the story of Noah's Ark and forget that God wiped out a whole planet of people. It's just so easy to take uh, the walls of Jericho falling and forget that in Jericho, nobody lived. This story reminds us, the last point, that God's judgment is the backdrop of God's mercy. God's mercy doesn't mean anything if you don't have a clear picture of God's judgment. Let's read. I'm going to take from verse 15 and read to verse uh, 25. And you follow along and just, just watch how the story unfolds. Join me there in verse 15. On the seventh day they rose early. At the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh Time when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, you keep yourselves from the devoted things, the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them you Take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. That's going to happen in chapter 7. All the silver and the gold, every vessel of bronze and the iron are holy to the Lord. They'll go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. The wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city. Every man straight before him, they captured the city then they devoted all in the city to destruction. Look at it. Both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys, did it all with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house. Bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in, brought out Rahab and her father and her mother, her brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives, put them outside the camp of Israel. There's a quarantine there. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and the iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy Jericho. So four things. David Howard says there's four things at the end of this story. That is, 
look at the total destruction of Jericho. Judgment and destruction on Jericho. Uh, there's a curse, at verse 26, there's a curse placed on Jericho. At the end of the story, verse 27, Joshua's leadership is confirmed. But what I'm, what I'm fascinated by is the, the deliverance of a prostitute named Rahab. That last mention is important. Here is this, here is this great and complete act of judgment by God on Jericho. From Genesis 15, you can go back and look and trace it all the way through. They were going to be destroyed. Jim Hamilton again says that um, no one in Jericho deserved to live. No one there honored God. No one thanked God. But when God decided to save somebody in Jericho, He didn't choose the most noble or ethical person in that bad city. He chose a prostitute and the burning of Jericho makes the salvation of Rahab all the more covered with the weight of glory, God's grace. Here's, you want to know the gospel? Here's the gospel. It goes like this, is the word grace. Three times in this story, Rahab's, we're reminded what, what her past She's a prostitute. She's the worst person in a terrible town. And God's grace is that he saves people like that. There's another word, faith. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, when he's looking for heroes, he jumps over here in Joshua 6 and he pulls out Rahab and he says, Rahab is by faith that Rahab didn't perish. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. There will be another word, evidence. There's evidence. In this story of Joshua 6, if you look at verse 17 and then again at verse 25, we're reminded that Rahab, she's the one that hid the spies that came into the land. When James wrote his little short gospel in the New Testament, the, the writer James, James chapter 2, he says that her doing that, remember he's really big on uh, faith without works is dead, he says that Rahab doing that is evidence of her I'll give you another word, is the word joy. In, in chapter 6, verse 23 and 24 and 25, there you have Rahab and her family being integrated into the people of God. She, she's received into the fellowship. She becomes one of them. There's, there's great joy in, in being the family of God. There's another word, uh, is, is the word Legacy. If you flip through the Old Testament and you finally get past Malachi and you get to the book of Matthew and there Matthew starts laying out the genealogy of Jesus and your eyes skim down that page, you ought to get hooked on one name. There's Rahab. She's the great-great-grandmother of David. She would be included in the ancestry of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, that saves us from the judgment of God through the love and the grace and the mercy of God. I want you to see God. In this story, God is kind in grace. He is severe in judgment. 
I want you to receive the grace of God found in Jesus. You join me as we pray together. With your heads bowed this morning as we go to the Lord in a moment of commitment and prayer. Here at Hickory Grove, we like to make a time of response as a part of our worship. That means that in a moment we're going to sing. And that's a good opportunity for you to come forward. Our pastors will be down here. Maybe you'd like for someone to pray with you. Maybe you'd like to talk about what it means to give your life to Christ, questions about the sermon. And, and, and if you're not comfortable coming forward, we'll be around after the service. We want you to, to know and love the grace of God given to us in Jesus. Father, thank you for your word that is strong. Thank you for your grace that is real. I pray that we might live in that grace. I pray that your spirit would grip the hearts of people, that they might receive the grace given to us in Jesus. Thank you for a good Lord's day. In Jesus' name we pray.